0: welcome back to the original gangsters podcast i'm jimmy buccolato here in my home studio office and i'm here with my colleague and friend uh, and co-conspirator the intrepid scott bernstein hey now partner in crime partner in crime and um also would like to remind everyone please subscribe to our podcast on youtube or the audio version if you listen to it on spotify google apple other places also check out scott's online magazine gangster report and uh, please support us on social media we appreciate that we we see the comments on youtube and uh, facebook and instagram twitter and you know it's just the three of us so sometimes it takes a while for us to to get back but um we appreciate the support and also spread the word it's very helpful when you you know uh share share the content so anyhow we have an interesting episode tonight, uh, we're going to go with one of the most well-known, talk about one of the most well-known and infamous mafiosi of all time, and uh, Nicky Scarfo, who was the boss of Philadelphia, and we're basically going to deep dive his his life. We've referenced him in a number of other episodes, we've had a number of Philadelphia episodes where he comes up, but this is the first time we'll devote the whole episode to his 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 uh really rise and fall and um
1: and i'll be able to contextualize some of my like kind of firsthand experience writing mafia prince which is you know the pinnacle of my career and you know uh, my opus you know my, it's my it's my Moby Dick, it's my uh War and Peace. Um very proud of it and uh you know helped put me on the map and open the door to me being able to report about Philadelphia which is really my favorite favorite subject um to report on when it comes to organized
0: crime and uh well that that's one of the reasons uh, sorry to interrupt but that's one of the reasons why when i pitched this to scott and said maybe we should do this is people speaking of people contacting us on social media people have asked you know why, why doesn't scott talk more about mafia prince people are a fan of that book so we're gonna our point of departure here is nikki scarfo That'll be the main issue here, but we're going to tie this into Scott's experiences writing a book with Nikki's nephew, who was also a high-ranking member himself, underboss. Yeah. So, you want to start us off, Bernie? Like uh, maybe well, a bit of what's just... going on now and how how this oh, yeah. uh, how this uh, we can connect that to this historical case study. Well, you know, the Philadelphia
1: mob has been in the news quite a bit late summer early fall 2023 with the news that alleged current my boss uh, skinny joy merlino is jumping into the podcasting game and uh jumping out in front of the camera you know according to him and his people he's been retired from running the mafia in philadelphia since he got out of prison about 12 years ago moved to florida he's now entering the you know the Social media influ- influencer space, so you can you can make a direct um, line from Joy Merlino, whether or not he's the boss or not. Uh, I I personally believe he is. That's what I've reported, um, but he's not he, he's not a day to day caretaker of the family like he once was. He's a, a boss, you know, from a distance, and doesn't really have any day to day say of what's going on there. Uh, just to clarify that. But, uh, you know, he he grew up around Nicky Scarfo. His dad, Salvatore Chucky Merlino, was Nicky's best friend. Um, Spent his whole life or his whole early life at at Nicky and his dad's side, learning what it meant to be uh, a powerful leader of organized crime and someone that ruled over lots of territory and, and had a lot of people that were, you know, subordinates and, and how to structure that and how to lead, how to deal with problems that kind of, I'm sure, run the gamut. He was exposed to a lot of that stuff at a very young age. Um, but, you know, Nikki Scarfo just to kind of go back to our our, our focus here, you know, grew up well, was born in 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 Brooklyn, moved to uh, South Philly when he was about eleven or twelve years old, and uh, was an amateur boxer. I think he worked in the blueberry fields for a while in, in Hamilton, New Jersey.
0: New Jersey's then, known for blueberries, by the way. I don't yeah. know if people knew that. <laughs> They're like a famous, and, nationwide famous <laughs> place for their blueberries. And then was was ushered into.
1: The Philadelphia Mafia by his uncles, the Piccolo brothers, who all went by the nickname Buck, Tony Buck, Nicky Buck, Mikey Buck, um, and he got he got his button in the 1950s, and by the 60s he is living in Atlantic City. Uh, there's a lot of Speculation on how he ended up there. A lot of conjecture that he was exiled after a, a fight that he had uh, where he killed him, killed a fellow diner, uh, at a, uh, the Oregon, uh, Oregon Diner in South Philly, fighting over a seat at a lunch counter, I
0: believe. He, he stabbed him with a fork. They stabbed him with a, yeah. And they, they uh, killed, killed the guy. Yeah. And, um, from my research and from
1: from talking to people that were close to Nicky, including Phil, that that he wasn't the 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 narrative that he was kicked out of Philadelphia and sent to Atlantic City uh, as penance uh, by Angelo Bruno, who at that point was the Godfather. That's that's just not true. Um,
0: well, it wouldn't be. What um, well, I mean, maybe it's not true, and that's a pretty good source, I would say. But it it's not doesn't sound insane, right? I mean because no, Bruno, that's no, not, that sense. wasn't yeah. Bruno's style, right? I mean you could you could imagine that that's something that would aggravate Angelo Bruno.
1: But if also I thought
0: that one of his soldiers <laughs> just killed a guy over a in yeah. public over a seat. But I I think one of my one of my
1: takeaways from my research uh writing mafia prints and sitting and interviewing uh Phil was that the Image and reputation that Angelo Bruno had as the do- the docile Don or this peaceful, you know, uh, uh, arbiter of of, uh, of of gangland conflict was a little bit of a, a misnomer as well. Yeah, I've heard I've that, heard that too. That he was actually a not to say he wasn't um, overly violent. Sure. the way that his. you know the way that his successors were ricky scarfo uh central among them but he definitely wasn't anti-violence and was somebody that was if circumstances arose was quick to order a murder
0: yeah that's he had
1: bought me had had quite a few bodies so yeah i I don't
0: yeah i guess i would say that it it i don't think he would have lost sleep over that Scarfo killed the guy but rather that it was so public yeah may have may have irritated but him but I, I think it was more like there is fertile
1: racket territory to be yeah. mined in atlantic city um go mine it yeah what, and and that's what he did i mean uh he he had pretty much control of that whole uh region of of uh, of racketeering when gambling legalization uh started to uh happen in in New Jersey and and all of the uh casinos started to be built yeah you know, he he was he had a foothold in there for the previous 12 15 years
0: well yeah i want i want to add something about that but i want to ask you a question about genealogy here if you if you know so his uncles were always in Philadelphia. Did he I mean, how, how does he they does, go from Brooklyn to Philadelphia because they already have pre-existing family in Philadelphia? And so because his father wasn't a mafia guy, right? Uh, it was on his mother's side that he was connected to that world, wasn't it? To,
1: to, to the Piccolos. Yeah, right. I don't I mean, think, I think dad his, was a, his dad was a wasn't necessarily a
0: straight arrow. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't know that. Um, but he wasn't. He he, wasn't a heavier. No, he wasn't a main
1: guy. He he was definitely more influenced by uh Nikki Buck and Tony Buck. Okay, who would become part of it was because of how uh, you know how fate took their nephew and uh ascended him to the to the throne, but. You know the both Piccolo brothers were, or in terms of Tony Buck and Nicky Buck, were were very relevant uh, in in Philadelphia mob affairs all the way through the late nineteen eighties, and with with Tony Buck, you know he was uh, at one point he was acting boss and then he became you know conciliary, um to John Stanford. Um, in the nineties. So I'm just saying that these yeah. were guys that weren't just. You know, ordinary run-of-the-mill right buttons. These were guys that Nikki the uh, Nikki Piccolo became little Nikki's conciliary, and then Tony Piccolo, Tony Buck became his acting boss, and then eventually uh Nikki Scarfo's successor, John or immediate successor, John Stampa's conciliary.
0: What about the you tell me if this is part of the urban legend, but there's also this story that a maid guy wanted Nikki Scarfo to date his daughter and Nikki Scarfo said so it's kind of like a rude uh, dismissal of that idea. And that this... Wanted to, mar- wanted
1: to marry his daughter. It was Joe okay. Ragnetta.
0: Okay, yeah, tell tell that. And Angel if you think that that's a true, that that really went down. Yeah, I,
1: that uh, that did happen. Okay. Angelo Bruno's conciliary. Uh, Joe Ragnetta, they call him Joe the boss. And uh, yeah, Joe Ragnetta wanted to marry one of his daughters off to Nicky Scarfo and Nicky wasn't having it. He called uh Rugnetta's the daughter's ugly and that was very offensive to Joe Rugnetta. And um I, honestly, I think that proved that that was a bigger reason for him getting out of Philly
0: than than what happened with the uh at the Oregon diner. And his uncles had to intercede, right? And yeah. to kind of calm things down. Yeah. And and Angelo Bruno might not have loved Nikki,
1: but he valued Nikki, and he knew he was a um, a valuable
0: asset. So, is my time is my time frame right here the chronology um, that when he goes to Atlantic City, that's actually before legalized gambling. Yeah, that's one reason why it, it's considered exile is. There actually wasn't a lot of action at that point, other than maybe shaking down local drug dealers, right. some you know, extorting bars and restaurants. Well, constru- and construction companies. Which, which was, was what, Scarf Inc., which, which was he had concrete right. pouring, which right. he
1: again he had a foothold in these in these uh, businesses in these trades, including you know union infiltration. Uh, but before casino legalization was even you know on the table, even in discussion.
0: Right. So once once it is announced that it that that legalized gambling is going to happen or it's in likelihood going to pass, Scarfo, ironically, if you if it if it was in exile, he's in the right place at the right time. Right. Because he's he actually gets in on the construction of those Of all casinos. the casinos. Right. <laughs> like good luck competing with Scarf Inc. Yeah. Right. Like like literally. Like they, they might kill you. And that and and that's all the so they control the construction, the pouring of the concrete for
1: all you know for the renovation of Las Vegas and this uh, remodeling, rebranding. AC, not not Vegas. Oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. <laughs> Atlantic City. I knew what you meant.
0: Wait. Um
1: and they poured all the concrete and then they controlled all of the the trades with the unions, and then they controlled all of the workers with the the, the, the bartenders and, and casino workers unions.
0: So he he's in on the ground floor in terms of laying the cement for for the casinos, but but he's also infiltrated the unions, so right, right place and, at the right time. It's very lucrative for Scarfo legal right. and candy. then and
1: then Bruno also has Ralph Natale, who will play a role uh, later on as well uh, as his union troubleshooter and, and uh, hitman, and uh, that also helped uh, quite a bit. you know there's a lot to. To knock ralph about um, later on in his mob career as as a quasi boss but uh it's definitely true that ralph was on the front lines of getting everything in line in terms of the unions uh for what eventually became atlantic city and and he murdered people to to keep everybody in line uh, union wise joey mcgreal uh who was a, a irish mob guy fighting over one of the unions in the early 70s. And uh, so they were all kind of working together. Bruno, Natalie, Scarfo, Long John Materano was was very close to Bruno at that time, even though he wasn't made.
0: But uh, uh, I think the the biggest... Where where does he get made? I I don't want to digress too much. He gets made under Testa or Scarfo? He gets made
1: under... I don't I, he was either the first making ceremony that Testa did okay. or the first
0: making ceremony that Scarfo did. Okay, whatever. Sorry to yeah, go ahead. Keep, keep going. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's oh, okay.
1: Oh, uh, okay. so you have a situation where I, I think you can trace Joe Rugnetta's death, the 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 conciliary who Scarfo had a f- issue with because he wouldn't marry his daughter. The decision by Angelo Bruto to name Tony Bananas Caponegro as Consigliere, this was in the early 70s, proved a fatal mistake. And with Caponegro as the Consigliere, he was out of uh, New Jersey and he was able to kind of uh, circle the horses. In terms of rallying support against uh, Bruno. And this was kind of, I think, a, a big strategic misstep uh, by Angelo Bruno in the early 70s when he replaced uh, Rugnetta with um, t- Tony Caponegro. And this all kind of, the dominoes fall in place that eventually Nikki Scarfo was able to take over. I don't wanna get ahead of ourselves. Let's go backwards for a second. Yeah, because I
0: still want to talk about Atlantic City, too, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. uh, But Phil Leonetti, who eventually becomes the Mafia Prince and is uh, Nikki's sister's son. uh, His father uh, leaves the picture when he's uh, barely out of diapers, and Phil's mother moves her and Phil in with Nicky Scarfo and Nikki and his sister's mother, uh, Phil's uh, grandma, uh, in Atlantic City. And and Nikki Scarfo raises Phil Leonetti uh, more as a son than as a nephew. Right. Um, and it, 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 there's one of the anecdotes in the book that when Phil's eight years old, Nikki uses him as a as a roost in some ways or as a as a shield uh to to alleviate any suspicions that he's got a dead body in in his trunk he's got his 8-year-old nephew with him in the front seat of the car in the middle of the night after he kills the guy he goes home and wakes up phil puts him in the car to drive to where they're going to bury the body cuz he feels like if a cop first is thinking about pulling him over he probably won't because he sees the kid in the car and if he does i can just say oh i'm out with my son you know taking a leisurely late night uh drop and i mean that's that's the kind of a lens into the sociopathy um that is nicky scarfo and what he passed on to to his nephew again who we kind of raised as a a son or a surrogate son phil
0: yeah i want to um address that later on too especially that that family dynamic with his own with his actual sons not not like his surrogate son phil but... but this
1: is this is all happening in the 50s and 60s Atlantic City doesn't get gambling legalized until '76. I don't think the first uh, casino opens until like '78. Just to give you an understanding of the time. Right,
0: and so that—that's something I want to talk about: the economics of of Atlantic City again being in the right place at the right time. So the real money is in the unions and and the the, the concrete, right? The construction rackets, however. There are a number of other lucrative opportunities in this environment. Obviously, loan sharking. Think of all the gamblers there that <laughs> that need money, right? That's going to going to be lucrative for Scarfo and his operation. You can now. There's going to be more bars and restaurants than before, so you can shake them down, and casinos. What goes along with with casinos other than loan sharking? People like to do dope. Yeah, and people stay all night. You gotta stay up all night to gamble, <laughs> right? And people like and, and women and yeah. women. <laughs> so, um, and um, so there's a number of lucrative street rackets as well. So Scarfo is an interesting guy at this point because he has his hands in both sides of of racketeering, both the construction unions, and then but also what we think of more of the street stuff, shaking people down, shaking dope dealers down. And he's, at a, and he's at a comfortable distance.
1: Yeah, it kind of, there, there's this, a semi-parallel to Tony Spilatro in Chicago when he goes out to Vegas. I think Nikki Scarfo is the version of that story when it all goes right until it doesn't. Um, Spilatro was never able to climb the ladder to become boss, even though he wanted to. Um, and, and he was kind of too far away. You know, Nikki was far enough away to have a little bit of a buffer between him and, and Philly, but Spilatra was a thousand miles away on the West Coast and went to his head. But you know, Nikki played that same role in a much smarter, more calculated, deliberate way for somebody that was known as a cowboy, just like Spilatra. Was.
0: Right. And and uh, something I wanna uh, something else I want to raise here. which which relates to the situation in Atlantic city is the, the political environment that's going on in this uh, Bruno crime family. So Scarfo is holding it down in Atlantic city, but you know, who else is trying to get in on Atlantic city? The Gambinos, especially the 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 (laughs) the Gambinos, but especially the, the Gambinos, because they have a close relationship with Angelo Bruno. And also, you can tie it to Sicily as well, because the Cherry Hill Gambinos were tied into Palermo, too. And and the Mafia in Sicily also was excited at this possibility of getting in on the action in Atlantic City. There's a, there's a big point that needs to be
1: immediately stated for, for the audience.
0: Yeah.
1: A part of so the first part of angelo bruno's downfall in my opinion in, in in his kind of increasing increasingly alienating himself and miscalculating um policy and and promotion so first is is replacing joe Rugnetto with uh tony bananas capo but second and kind of part and parcel of that and then also a tie you can make to, to nikki Scarfo in atlantic city uh, Tony bananas in Newark Angelo Bruno didn't want to jump headfirst into Atlantic City legalized gambling right he Great was point. happy with what was going on before legalized gambling uh he almost saw it as a headache as opposed to a, a huge potential money maker so that attitude didn't sit well with Nicky Scarfo, Tony Caponegro, or the guys in New York. Um, Because at the same time, he he didn't want those guys coming in either. (laughs) So he was almost saying, leave it alone. Let let it be legitimate.
0: Yeah. And that's not going to go over well with guys who are gangsters for a living. So a lot of what was going on in terms of
1: priming the ground, I would say, for what eventually became this huge boom town in the 80s of, of, of legalized casino gambling in Atlantic City? Uh, uh, Angelo Bruno was resistant to a lot of it.
0: Right. And, but he does tell the Gambinos he has no problem with the Cherry Hill Gambinos. If they're, if they're, if they are going to push the issue, then he's not going to stop them. So they're trying to actually get in on one of the casinos. They're blocked, but they own a discotheque back then. This is the late 70s, a discotheque. They're, they're prolific drug traffickers, but they also own a number of restaurants and clubs and pizzerias in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is South Jersey, which just like Atlantic City is supposed to be Bruno territory. And my understanding is Bruno was getting a cut of the drug profits, but for the most part left the Cherry Hill Gambinos alone. And to your point, a lot of the rank and file are really getting annoyed with bruno's laissez-faire attitude about letting the zips and the gambinos come in trying to get a piece of atlantic city setting up shop all over the place and and with the drug thing especially with the drug thing when bruno at least um superficial and at a, at a superficial level says he doesn't want his guys dealing dope which we know is bullshit because long john was was bringing him in a lot of a lot of dope money. A lot of and dope he was money. Taking,
1: and he was, he was taking a dope money tribute from the Cherry Hill guy. And from the Black Mafia yeah. family. Going go, The Black Mafia's that money. Not was BMF, I'm
0: sorry, the Philly Black Mafia. The
1: Philadelphia Black Mafia, right. uh, that money was coming through Long John, who was the <laughs> right. point man for the, the Blacks, the bikers, the Irish. I mean, he was very, very instrumental for a guy that wasn't made at that point.
0: Right. So there's there's some hypocrisy on Bruno's part. So, there is this growing frustration with his leadership style, so the reason why we're spending you know unpacking this and spending so much time on this is Bruno's going to get killed. <laughs> I think our audience probably knows that he's going to get whacked and and these are the events leading up to it, which eventually is going to lead to this point where Scarfo's on top, but you want to break down some of the machinations where they actually decide to take out. Bruno, and also what that has to do with Scarfo. Yeah, so Scarfo and his, so his two best friends are uh,
1: Salvatore Chucky Merlino, who's Joey Jordan Merlino's dad, and then uh, Phil the Chicken Man, Testa. Um, And Testa and Scarfo were made. Chucky Merlino was not. Testa became Bruno's underboss and even though scarfo and testa were not fans or actually even huge supporters of bruno they didn't have the appetite to join a coup uh, and uh, they weren't looking to murder him that's not to be said there were not other people Uh, In that same orbit that felt differently and were very eager to, like I said before, you know, circle the horses and and rally uh, support for uh, a mutiny. And Tony Bananas was able to get uh, Frank the Barracuda Sundone and Johnny Johnny Key Simone, two of the most powerful capos at that point in the crime family, to join his mutiny. He goes and makes a deal with the Genovese crime family, or thinks he makes a deal with yeah, the Genovese right, crime family. Right. Um, and part of that deal has to do with cutting them in on Atlantic City. He didn't realize he was being played. Uh, that that funs, uh, Frank Thierry um, was basically lying to him about support from the commission that he thought that he had. He thought he had it greenlit and he didn't. But uh 1980, March 1980. It's you know, all the T's have been crossed and the I's have been dotted, and it's a full go. They're gonna kill, they're gonna kill the king. And they bring in a Gambino. Um, affiliate who had become a Philly mob soldier, John Stampa, uh, who was very, you know, he his, his relevance and his presence in Philadelphia came from the fact that when he came over from Sicily, the Gambinos placed him with Bruno. Um, but it, in reality, he was kind of like a double agent and they used him. Normally, Long John Matarano would be uh, a driver for Angelo Bruno, but Long John couldn't uh, fulfill that job on the night of Bruno's murder. They put Stanfa in there, knowing that Stanfa is a part of the plot. Uh, Word on the street, and I believe this, is that Tony Bananas was crazy enough to want to pull the trigger himself, (laughs) that he was not going to outsource um this this assassination that he was gonna actually be the one that killed Angelo Bruno and um shotgun was delivered went from Philly to new to Newark um and caponegro was delivered to caponegro and then caponegro traveled to South Philly and uh Bruno had a had a dinner came home was being driven by Stanfa Stampa on, um, puts the, the window down on the passenger seat of the car that, that he's driving Bruno home from they're sitting in front of Bruno's house Bruno goes to light up a cigarette and Tony Bananas comes up behind him with a shotgun and blows his head off and there's that famous photo of him sitting upright in the passenger seat half of his head gone yes, and his, his mouth a agape, agape. Yeah. and One of the best anecdotes that I took away from my time with with Phil Leonetti was when he's talking about, I said, well, what was the reaction from your uncle and Testa when all this goes down? And he says, well, they were shook because there was all of a sudden instability in a family that had always been so stable. But he said they weren't upset that uh, someone had the balls to take Bruno out they and, and nikki i guess was saying as the as the um the image was being splashed on the uh, television set he said him and testa would were, were and these were the in the hours and the days afterwards when they would have the television on they would say to each other like that it's it's appropriate that uh, bruno died with his mouth open because he was trying to take food off of everybody's plate and put it in his mouth That he was always taking 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 um so I know I know Testa really felt um that he had lost all of his juice uh, as underboss that even though he was supposed to be the number 2 in the crime family Bruno was alienating him from decision making um alienating him from his from some of his troops and I know that uh Testa was not happy with with the way that Bruno was leading the family there, but he wasn't involved in in the conspiracy to murder.
0: But I think it's an interesting point to make that the he was not this beloved Don where Scarfo and Testa were going to avenge like Luca Brazzi, like go, going to avenge Don Vito, right? Like right. a year later, though, it, that that is what happened. W- right, right, but 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 they're um, but I think they had different motives for that for their own like yeah, like, establish themselves. Let me ask you something. What do you think about the the idea that Stamfa wasn't in on it that the impossible? He, impossible? Yeah. And um, and I, and honestly,
1: I think it played a role in him getting tapped to be boss later on. I don't think it hurt him. <laughs> I think it might have actually helped him.
0: Because well, he, he got he, he, he does have the, to get out of Dodge at first, right? He had to leave. But
1: saying when he comes back, he comes back and is installed as the boss by New York. It wasn't the people in Philly that were bringing him back and saying we want we want you to be our boss,
0: right? I'm I, I've also heard that Stamfo was already made in Sicily, yeah, over he, on the other side, yeah. yeah, on the other side. So uh, that that complicated issues too. And then Bruto, uh wasn't making people;
1: he was. Uh, upsetting a lot of his capos and wanted to bring guys in to to help the greater good in terms of bottom line and uh wasn't able to do that it, he was su- surrounding himself um with a, a with a clique of people that were also kind of they were it was like the, the cool kids clique. um where guys that were around bruno got certain treatment that other guys didn't get and it didn't matter like like we're saying with with long john it didn't matter he didn't have a button but he was able to act um above a lot i mean like he was able to do things that nobody else was able to do because he had bruno's ear right and and that kind of behavior alienated a lot of people um didn't have a ton of supporters
0: this machiavellian and Carl, let me just
1: point out, Carlo yeah. Gambino dying, I think, plays a role in it. If Gambino's alive in he wouldn't have allowed that. it wouldn't have happened.
0: I don't think so either. But if Stamfa is part of the conspiracy, then that tells me that the, the Zips and the Gambinos must have... I don't think he would go rogue and just no. do that because...
1: <laughs> because no, I think, they were,
0: I think they were well aware. Wow. And the and the Genovese like so yeah. there's this Machiavellian like we're going to wink, wink, tell you it's OK to kill the boss. But then when the shit hits the fan, we're going to be like, I don't know what you're talking. I, about. I don't know. what you're ta- I didn't tell you to do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and I think also that Carmen Galante's assassination less than a year before that played a minor role just empowering in the insurgents like, hey, look. This just happened in New York. They took That's out a boss, Carlo Gambino's no longer there. We can take out a
0: boss. It can be. We done. don't care
1: if it's Carlo. You know, if he was close to Carlo Gambino five years ago when when uh, Carlo was still alive, or four years ago when Carlo was still alive.
0: Uh, I, I hate to to, to to digress, but we you know we have these conversations and interesting things pop in my head. Scott's also an authority on the Tocos, really family. Um. Was really always had pretty good tie, uh, pretty good relationship with Bruno. He he's already dead by by eighty one. Was did you, did you ever get a sense what the Detroit guys thought about that? Uh, I'll tell you.
1: I'll tell you what's really interesting. That's eight and eighty, uh, or an 80, Yeah, in eighty. The the feds had followed Jack Tocco to a meeting with Bruno. I think it was two or three weeks before Bruno wow. was killed. No shit. Uh, wow. Jack Tocco took, uh, I believe, Jimmy Quasarano... And one of the Corrado brothers, and they did an East Coast Godfather swing um, where they spent like a couple weeks. They started in Florida and then went to uh, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and, and went and, and, and in the parts of Pennsylvania and uh, met with all the bosses that uh, Jack needed to be introduced to him. And Jimmy, Jimmy Q was going to do the the introductions and i know that the meeting that he had with bruno was in february of 80 and uh bruno was killed in you know third i believe middle of march end of march um so the the detroit family was very close to bruno uh i'm i'm sure they weren't thrilled with what happened there i, yeah. I don't
0: i don't it's interesting for, you know during my research in these kinds of situations, I find that there could be a couple of different approaches. One would be this sort of like, oh shit, we we like that dude. We had good relationships with that dude. This is fucked up. What are going to be the repercussions? Could this destabilize things in our own brigada? And then and then the other view you would you might encounter from some of these guys is who gives a fuck? What <laughs> you know the sort of like indifferent like what do i give a fuck about what you
1: didn't you didn't really hear about any you heard a lot of connections between bruno uh and really toko you never you didn't really hear about anything between Nikki scarfo and jack toko i mean they they were polar opposites in the way they run their
0: families i would be surprised yeah if if that that were to happen the only different one of totally different styles
1: one of the soldiers under Scarfo, who ended up being a casualty of the Scarfo regime, uh, Pasquale uh, Spirito, Pat the Cat, uh, when he was before he was a may guy, when he was an associate uh, under Bruno, he had uh, come to Detroit. There was some um, horse fixing going on, and the uh, the Bruno family had a piece of it, and, and Pat the Cat was was their point man and had come to Detroit and had met with Jack Tocco and those guys, but. Um, that's the only connection that I can make between the Scarfo era and, and the Toco era. And that didn't even happen during the Scarfo era. It was, in, it was actually in the Bruno era when that meetup happened.
0: Right. So back to the chronology. So New York makes it known that we didn't sanction this. So the conspirators, are, they're going to get killed, too. Brutally. Brutally. Uh, Caponegro, His uh, brother-in-law, Freddie Salerno.
1: Um, they were both killed together when they went to go account for what happened in front of the commission. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the um, the New York families help out with the the hit on on John Simone, Johnny Keys. The Gambinos do it. They assign it to Sammy the Bull, who talked about it in his book um, how they had to kind of wait, wait for him in a van to see if they were going to actually kill him or not. And then he let him take his shoes off before they killed him as kind of a a, a uh, gesture of respect. Um, and then, Ch- allegedly, uh, Chucky Merlino and, and Joseph Chicky Cangalini kill Frank Sindone. And and Chicky Cangalini had been Sindone's right-hand man and eventually took over uh, his crew. Cangalini had been made under... Chicky Cangolini had been made under Bruno. Chucky Merlino uh, wasn't made until uh, uh, the the making ceremonies that started to occur uh, in the aftermath of Bruno's death when Testa and Scarfo started making guys at a, a pretty steady clip. We had about 30 guys, 40 guys come in, 30 guys come in in about a two, three, four year period.
0: So Chicken Man Testa, who was the underboss, is now the boss. He was the Soto Capo, now he's the boss. And he appoints Scarfo as his conciliary. Which is really interesting because Scarfo doesn't strike me as the kind of personality you want as your well, another advisor. miscalculation. Another miscalculation, he
1: names Pete Casella his underboss. So a guy kind of like Stanfa has a, a lot of support in New York. Um, New York, I think, was pushing for for Casella to be the underboss. Instead of Scarfo, it probably would have been better to have it reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, but within a year, almost to the day, uh, Bruno was killed on March twenty first, nineteen eighty. I believe Tessa was killed on the eighteenth or nineteenth of March, eighty one. So it's almost exactly a year later, and the you know history repeats itself. Casella <laughs> circles the wagons and and. Uh, drums-up support for a coup um, from uh, mainly Chicky Narducci. I know it was was uh, a capo that uh, jumped on board with Casella. And they blow Phil Testa up. Uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote a famous song about it called uh, Atlantic City. They blew up the Chicken Man last night. They blew up his house, too. And uh, a they put a nail bomb there hoping to that people suspected the the roofers union, which goes back to some of the stuff we talked about. Right. And um, but in reality, it was it was Casella and his brother and, and Chicky Narducci and uh, a guy um, who worked for them named Rocco Marinucci, who was the guy that actually, I think, planted the bomb and detonated it.
0: Was that just a, a power grab? Or were they just taking advantage of the destabilization? Or yeah. did they they, did they not I don't, like think, they, I don't
1: think they did I don't think they disliked Tesla. Yeah, they just thing. wanted the power,
0: yeah. Like we're gonna take advantage of the yeah. destabilization and 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 then so um and but, they didn't have they didn't have the, the proper sign off from
1: New York either. So when they get called to account for it, uh Casella is protected by new york they won't let scarfo kill him they they tell him and his brother to to get out of town and you're exiled down to florida you can never come back to philadelphia but marinucci and narducci um they're marked for death and the contract for both of those guys go to chicken mantesta's son who also could have been called the mafia prince uh Salvitesta who was really probably in real time he was more the mafia prince than than, than Phil was. Which, I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Um but uh Salvitesta is is given the contracts and joyously carries He's enthusiastic
0: mouth. about it to yeah, avenge his father.
1: He wanted uh when they killed Marinucci, they put firecrackers in his mouth as a sign that he was killed because he played a role in in blowing up Phil Testa and then with with Chicky Narducci te, uh, Salvi Testa told people I I wanted to personally see his eyes when I killed him and that it it was very very personal and they got him coming out of uh, court um he was on trial with a, with a, a lot of the Scarfo guys including Chicky Cangolini. allegedly tipped off salvi when they all got out of court that day and chicky was was driving home and salvi met him uh when he was pulling up in front of his uh salvi met him in the street and and unloaded his clip into him and and said i i wanted to see the whites of his eyes i wanted him to know that i was the one that was that was killing him um that's it's that's some pretty heavy stuff man and and it just got more shakespearean and more more blood loss and and more dysfunction as, as the 80s went on and again it, it it was a 180 from where that family was from you know the 50s to 1980 where you didn't have any um real chinks in the armor in terms of the integrity of the structure.
0: You didn't have the internal conflict. I mean, Bruno yeah. would kill, whack people out, but you didn't have the internal conflict. So my understanding, you correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is at this point, Scarfo gets permission from the, or the commission basically anoints Scarfo. Okay, yeah. you're the boss now. You're in charge of Philadelphia, yeah. especially the Genovese. I think they were, he was particularly close to them. He was close with Bobby Manna. Yeah, more um, more so than the other four families, if I'm not yeah. mistaken.
1: Um, That's where his power came from. And uh, Casella and some other guys uh, were trying to declare themselves boss in the wake of this. And Scarfo had to go, I think, at least two meetings. He had to go to New York to clear things up. And Casella was coming to the guys in Philly saying that the guys in New York are saying X, Y, and Z. And Nicky Scarfo was like... I'm not just going to take your word for it. I'm going to go meet with these people myself. Mm-hmm. And he found out that's not what they were saying. Um, and he wasn't allowed to kill Casella, though, which I still find that the fact that Stampa and Casella were involved in these huge unsanctioned mob, mob assassinations, and they were both able to walk away from it just because they were, um, you know, they had co-signage from, from the five families.
0: Yeah, I want to also take a moment here. We the the Stamfa. I was having a conversation about the Stamfa, whether he was implicated or not, with our friends over <laughs> at the um, Mob Archaeologist. But well, check out their channel on YouTube if you get a chance. They 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 put out um, an episode on Philadelphia um, a while back that I know is pretty popular. So uh, shout out to them. They're good friends of ours, and actually we're we're gonna plan more crossover episodes with them. I know they're not releasing content as frequently as they would like. They're busy with other things. But anyhow, back to the, the the chronology. So what's interesting here is, okay, Scarfo is anointed the boss. And you would think, okay, well, finally, there's going to be some stability here. Right. But it's anything, it's anything but, right? Anything but stable under Scarfo. So then right when, Star- when Scarfo
1: takes power, he has resistance from kind of a family within the family or a, a, a very powerful crew. Uh, Harry the Hunchback Rickabini went all the way back. Uh, you know, to, He was
0: a real old timer. Yeah, to
1: the, almost at the turn of the century. He got his button when he was like 17 or 18 um, and was allowed to kind of do his own thing under Bruno as long as he sent uh, a Christmas package. But Bruno took a real hands off approach with him. And he, like I said, he kind of created his own family within a family. And, uh, he was one of the people that wanted to be boss in the aftermath of uh, both Bruno and uh, Testa's assassinations, and when that wasn't a possibility, uh, him and Nikki Scarfo knew each other very well. I mean, they—this uh, wasn't like a, this wasn't like enemies from a distance, you know, like Marlo Stanfield and Avon Barksdale. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. these were guys that had had been with each other for. Uh, 30 years at that point, uh, 30, 40 years in terms of working together. And he was actually
0: born in Harry, Rick, I'm looking at his FBN file right now. He was actually born in Sicily. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, if I didn't know that, I, I can't remember <laughs> if I knew that or not, or if I forgot, but, and it says his associates, Pete Casella, Joe Rugnetta, um, among others. So, uh, you know, this is from like the 1950s. Just yeah. to give you an idea of how far he went back. He was born in 1909. So. Um, and if he was made at
1: seventeen, you know he was made during prohibition.
0: Yeah, but the, the, the reason why I, I'm, you know, overemphasizing his his age and he he's born in Sicily is th- that gives you some context for his attitude of like I don't need to recognize Scarfo, yeah, as the boss. I'm a fucking OG ar- around here. And He looked like Santa Claus. He yeah. was about
1: <laughs> five foot two with this big white beard and crazy white hair, Um but had a lot of loyalists and was fearless and refused to come under uh scarfo so scarfo ordered him and his whole crew uh you know ordered their murders and gave the contract to salvi testa who became you know his his number one kind of general on the street to fight these wars um and salvi got uh, wounded in that conflict. they tried
0: right they try to kill him they tried to the yeah. faction try to take out salvi so between like 82 and
1: 83 there's this internal blood feud uh war going on between uh harry riccabini and his brothers and and their faction and then you know the scarfo regime with with salvi testa uh leading that uh that a, that that charge to, to eliminate the entire Riccabini faction.
0: Yeah, so they they actually shoot back, right? They they try to yeah. take out some Scarfo's guys. When they, they kill Frank were... Monte. they kill yeah, Frank Monte. I was going to say, I thought they took out one of one of, at least one. They of took Scarfo's out guys. they took out Scarfo's conciliary. Okay, right, which was a uh, big 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 win for them. Yeah, but...
1: Frank Monte, and then he replaces um, he replaced Frank Monte with his with his uncle Nicky Buck piccolo as as his area at that point but uh it, it was it was quite uh intense in 82 83
0: um and it ends had, not because the not because scarfo gets a decisive victory doesn't it end because rico and some of his guys go to end up going and to prison? Was
1: prison ricky beanie ends up surviving a, a number of hits one inside of a phone booth when uh john uh salvatore grande who they all called uh wayne which was short for john wayne because he was such a cowboy uh or Wayney, uh caught uh riccabini in a phone booth and unloaded an automatic weapon into him and didn't uh didn't kill him so yeah he goes to jail and then scarpo has to go to jail and serve uh about a year on a gun case when they when they arrest him they found a, a Or when when they, I I don't remember exactly where that gun case came from. Um, But he had to go do, I know it was on some type of uh, uh, search. Um, And he had to go to Texas to go do, uh, I think, 14 14 months. And Chucky Merlino, you know, holds down the ship. Crazy Phil Leonetti, his nephew, holds down the ship. Um, we were talking off air. You know, uh, Phil did not like the nickname uh, "Crazy Phil." The media gave it to him. Some radio um, reporter, and he used to complain about it a lot. And his uncle would would chastise him for complaining and say, "Well, are you out of your mind? People yeah. would pay. People would pay for a nickname like that." He said, like, yeah. "You should. You should embrace it. You should love it. People call me Little Nicky. I hate that nickname I wish I was. I wish I was." Ah, uh, crazy, crazy nicky <laughs> right.
0: yeah. yeah, that was a that was a fun thing uh, uh, in your book. So let me ask you about the chronology here. Is really really, it really, the nickname really belies who
1: Phil was, though. I mean, Phil was not a you know hair trigger temper or uh, impulsive or erratic. You know, Tony Banana's Caponegro was, and that's why he was nicknamed Bananas. Tony Bananas.
0: Well, that's one of the things that you can that that you can. You know, pull from from your text yeah. is that that Phil. This is part of the anxiety and the stress on Phil is because he is in a lot of ways a contrast. Not to say he wasn't a person he would trifle with. He was a stone cold gangster too, but he didn't. He wasn't the sort of cowboy that his uncle was. And he you, can, blo- he didn't have bloodlust. He didn't have. He didn't, he didn't have bloodlust. He right. didn't. He didn't get off on it. Nikki
1: got off on it.
0: I mean, well, let's let's talk about. So when does when's the um speak because this is a you know something that is a really striking example the falcone murder when is that is that that's before bruno that's 79 okay so well it's a little bit out of chronology but you want to talk because that's one of the most striking examples of scarfo's pathology yeah he I
1: decided think. uh that this acquaintance of theirs uh, vincent falcone who worked in the construction business with them i think he was involved in some some small rackets. Uh, wasn't a big gangster, but definitely wasn't a civilian either. And uh, he was uh, vocal in his dislike of nicky Scarfo. He was running around town telling everyone that uh, Scarf Inc did uh, shoddy work and And Nikki decided to kill him and told his nephew Phil, told uh, Joey Merlino's uncle, Chucky Merlino's brother, Yogi Merlino. and then, a civilian, um in 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 a guy named Joe Salerno. And th- again, this this demonstrates uh the way that these guys think, and in some ways I'm I'm surprised that well let's just they wanted Salerno there because in their mind it would lower Vince Falcone's guard. Yeah, they,
0: they wouldn't kill him in front of a civilian in front of
1: a civilian. Time. Right. Um in some ways, Joe Salerno was lucky they didn't just kill him right after they killed Falcone. Yeah. They let him live. And that's how they got caught up, uh, you know, facing first-degree homicide charges. Right. They tried to kill his dad.
0: Yeah, to shut him up. To
1: shut him up. Uh, they shot his dad in the head. His dad survived. But um, it se- that seems like a wasn't the best move in the world. But uh, they kill uh Falcone at Nikki Scarfo's place and uh uh Leonetti uh put two in the back of his head when he when he offered to go buy uh get him a drink in the kitchen and Nikki was so high from the murder that he said I, I wish I could bring him back to life and kill him again. <laughs> kill him again. <laughs> and then when they uh when they sent uh some of the guys that were involved in the conspiracy out to go get equipment to bury the body. They came back, and Nikki was in the living room, like drunk uh, out of his mind, like celebrating. I like they said there was a football game on on uh, on television. The body sprawled out on the carpet. <laughs> Nikki Downing fits of vodka in Cuddy Sark, um, and and kind of uh, literally dancing on this guy's corpse. Uh, it was it's it's very um, visceral, and I think it 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 demonstrates perfectly uh, how unhinged and um, lethal and. Uh, you know, so, psychopathic Nikki scarfo.
0: Well, another dramatic murder I want to talk about and you you've explained the chronology. Um we, we we've talked about the this the civil war with the Riccobini faction. What about when Scarfo makes this decision to take out the Greek there was a Greek mobster a, a, a crew of Greek mobsters they kill they killed two of them. And and this is back to the same thing of like Scarfo says there's a new sheriff in town. To use a cliche, whereas Bruno was very laissez faire with Riccobini, the Terry Hill Gambinos, Black Mafia, Greeks. Scarfo says the the pagans. It's all Scar- mine. Scar- it's Scarfo all mine. says right, I want a piece no, of it every, all. Right, everyone has to. It reminds you of the uh, King of New York scene where Chris yeah. Christopher Rock says, "I don't." If a nickel bag is sold, yeah. if a if a, you know any kind of bet this, is made, this I want Christmas <laughs> tribute bullshit. <laughs> Doesn't okay. fly with me. I don't want once a year. I want once a month. <laughs> right, right. And so the, the the Greeks, you know, just like Riccobini, right? Are like uh, we're not no. going to do it. Yeah. So now, they, when does they, that is that before the Riccobini or was it simultaneous? Around the same time. Around the same time. Okay. Um 80, uh,
1: 82, 83. Okay. Um, and uh, then you had the situation with Salvi, which was really the the beginning of the end um it, it it started off as like we're gonna kill i mean in terms of the nikki Scarfo regime we're gonna kill people responsible for phil Testa's assassination and that quickly became we're gonna kill anybody that we have any issue with at any time right and it started to the bodies were piling up i mean you went from an era where you probably had a, a half dozen Mob murders in Philadelphia to a two-year period or three-year period where you had two dozen from a half a dozen.
0: Yeah, so walk us through the 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 murder of um, Boris. Was that his name, Stevie Boris, the Greek guy? Yeah, you know what? I, I
1: don't uh, off the top of my head. I don't have the the uh, the stuff in front of me. The specifics of it. But, well, this uh, is
0: like they shoot they shoot at killing him at the restaurant. And- they
1: caught him at the restaurant. Raymond Longjar uh allegedly set him up. He was there with his, they were all there with their wives. Uh, two mass uh, gunmen who have, uh, nobody's ever been uh, charged with with those homicides. Boris is, I believe, was the, the the last one. And um, I think that, I think a guy named Petros, Harry Petros was the first one.
0: Um it says and, I'm just this is take it for what it is. This is Wiki. <laughs> so take it. I, my students would be mortified. I I yell at my students, don't cite wiki, and here I am. Um May 27th 1981 that's eighty one. So, right. that's the, at least that's what wiki says so so that's right after that's you know 2 months after uh
1: 2 months after uh Testa's murder I'm so sorry for not ha- for not having my uh dates uh yeah. more uh, in order here
0: no that I guess I-, I didn't realize that we were going to I I mean I knew we were going to deep dive and I, I should have been more prepared I Well I I you know I like to think of this as a conversation and yep. um you know I, I I view my role in this as this is field research. I like to learn from Scott, I like to learn from the guests that we have on. We interview people in the underworld, people in law enforcement, best-selling authors, other scholars. And I I view it as field research. I like to look I I like to learn from 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 people. Um I've never claimed that I can come on this podcast and and be a fucking computer. And and I'm I'm saying this because you know there's there was comments about our Westies episode. I got the, the I forgotty thing. I, I was wrong about that. That had that had nothing. That that was a different case. I was connecting it to the to the Irish, the yeah. Irish guy. It was a different case. And you know, so people are piling on the comments. I don't fucking know, man. I'm not a fucking walking, a fucking walking computer, right? I'm a theoretical criminologist. So if we don't get all the fucking dates right, like get over it. Watch another show if that if that bothers you. But um, <laughs> I don't think that's what we're here for. If it, sometimes Scott knows that shit more than I do, and he gets it right most of the time with the dates. But if if sometimes either neither one of us know, like just get over it. I would say. <laughs> but uh, the one thing
1: I I'll point out the one thing, one of the things I'll point out about Stevie Boris, and and we're not going to get into a whole thing about what was going on in the 2000s. But that Stevie Boris murder ended up uh, with the murder of a a woman named Jeanette Currow, who was related uh, to a, a, a man who would eventually become conciliary of the Philadelphia mob and Joe Crutch, Joe Crutch Currow. And I don't think that helped uh, Raymond Long John Monterano when he came out of prison in the 2000s and was button heads with Uncle Joel Legambi, that, that Uncle Joel Legambi's top advisor already has an issue um, with Long John from the way that that all went down 30 years before.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you I brought guess, that I up. Guess it, it was like 20 years i'm glad you brought that up because it does i think one of the reasons why i think it's interesting to talk about nicky scarfo and his reign rise and fall is because the ramifications ripple through the years it doesn't it doesn't end when he is convicted he wants to get in
1: prison and nicky starts wanting to kill all of his own guys these weren't enemies of his yeah these weren't like rival factions like the riccabini's or even the the greeks
0: well let's let's so let's then let's jump to the salvi testa situation because that's another striking example of the bloodlust and a a, a miscalculation and something that i really think it's the turning it was the turning point the turning point yeah so that's when it's the
1: beginning of the end um he He's a loyalist. Salvi Test is a Selby, uh, Testa was loyalist too. As rock solid as you could come in terms of his loyalty to Nikki. Uh, Nikki was uh, his father's best friend. He had promised they had promised each other if either one of them dies that they would look after uh, that. Phil tested would look would would look after Philly and Eddie and and Nikki's biological kids, and that Nikki be would be responsible for looking after. Salvi and, and Nikki always looked at Salvi as a son in the same way that he looked at Philly and Eddie. But Philly and Eddie wasn't getting the press at that time that Salvi was. Phil was not a nightclub guy. He was not a flashy guy. Um, he wasn't a guy that was if he had to do mafia business, he did it and then he went home. Uh, Salvi
0: Testa was a, was a was a good time charlie type um the son and, of corleone like right. he was the mafia he was you're right he was the mafia prince of philadelphia at that time yeah and um, that's a great picture thank you benny for putting that's
1: it. him and, and his dad
0: Chicken uh, yeah that's a great and, and
1: salvi yeah. salvi was you know out of central casting of what you would want in a up-and-coming um Crime boss. He had charisma. He was, he was smart. Was feer- he was fearless. He was smart. Um, he, was ru- he had rugged, rugged, rugged good looks. Um, his dad was, was far from a matinee idol. Yeah. Um, but, but Salvi was actually a very handsome handsome man that, that the ladies loved. Um, and like I said, he wasn't just on the nightclub scene in Philly, he'd traveled to New York. So, the tabloids started to write about him. People in Philly, you know, gravitated towards him. And, and nicky has gone from from both Atlantic City and and South Philly for over a year. And he starts to get insecure. And at this point, Salvi's engaged to be married to Chucky Merlino's daughter, Joey Merlino's sister. And uh I think within this drama, the decision by Salvi to break off that engagement, like a week or two before the wedding, um, was another key event that laid the groundwork for for his demise and and uh, helped Nikki parlay this insecurity uh, into getting people behind this notion that they had to kill salvi because salvi was getting um too ambitious which wasn't true i mean from everyone i talked, salvi had no yeah no desire to to move nikki out and take over uh, he was very happy being nikki's junkyard dog and, and being his muscle and being a capo um, but nikki was convinced that that he was plotting
0: against him I think a lot of it was paranoia. Nikki was drinking a lot at this at this point. What do you make uh, of the allegations that Salvi did have some people on the street that didn't like, even though he was, for the most part, very popular, that there were some people who didn't like him who were whispering and sort of Scarf already had this preexisting paranoia yeah. point well taken. But they, but they were sort of adding fuel to the fire. Like, Well, they, there was you a, know, a, je- a jealousy factor. And uh, jealousy, we, yeah, good point. We yeah, want man. his rackets factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. He had a lot of rackets and a lot so, of successful so rackets. So there were, and, there were some people kind of feeding into Scarfo's already paranoid attitude. So Scarfo comes home, I believe it's March of 84,
1: and all the, the news television news stations in Philly are there to meet him. Uh, Phil Leonetti and um, Salvi, and I believe the Merlino brothers, uh, Joey's dad and uncle, travel to Texas to pick him up. They spend the night at a hotel after he gets released in Texas. They party. Then they come home. The plane lands at uh, the Philadelphia airport and they're met by the cameras and they get them. It's, it's not a perp walk because they weren't arrested, but they get him coming off the plane all the way till they get into the limo to leave. It's cool footage. And uh, it's eerie to think that six months from then, this guy that's carrying Nikki's baggage opening the door for Nicky, you know, it, it's raining. And he's, he has the umbrella. Um, the guy that was as close to him as a son could be. And you're looking at this and you can see it. You can see Salvi. And, it, and it's not like there's no um, animosity in Salvi's, uh, on Salvy's expressions that he's getting Nikki's door or carrying Nikki's luggage. It's he, he's doing it. It, Obstinately, it looks like he's doing it because he wants to do it because he. Well, I think so. He, he wants like to show respect. Figure. Right. He wants to show, um, and that quickly devolves. Like again, like what what I said about uh, how how something happened within, um, you know, Jack toko met with angelo Bruno in February, and within a couple weeks, Bruno's dead. Within a couple weeks of that footage, the 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 marriage or the wedding is called off, and. Chucky e. Merlino was very offended. They had put a lot of money into this wedding. It was going to be, it was like a royal wedding. You were right. marrying the two most powerful. You were marrying a, a, a groom and a bride from the two most powerful families in the Philadelphia mafia. They were both good looking. They were both well-spoken. They they represented very well, like a Prince William and, and yeah. King Kate Middleton type. Um they had even gotten, I believe they had booked Stevie Wonder to uh, to perform. So this was, they were rolling off the red carpet. So not only did Chucky lose money on st- the money he put out for the wedding, he, he took it as a slap in the face. Like, my daughter's not good enough for you. Right. And Salvi was in love with his girlfriend, um, who wasn't Maria Merlino. And uh Scarful used Chucky Merlino's embarrassment and anger as a an, an an entry point to to get the support that he felt like he needed to order that. And the, when I say the support, I mean his under boss who said, Yes, I'm okay with it. You you can kill my who was gonna be my future son-in-law.
0: Yeah, so. They
1: um, actually gave him a kiss of death. Right, there was actually a, a some type of wake or, or wedding in the summer of eighty uh, four where Chuckie Merlino you know, gave Salvi a a big kiss on the lips.
0: So we know that Scarfo is giving the order, but but then how does it go down? Where they, they you know they get well they stalked us.
1: They stalk him, uh, Salvi, for for months. You know, and Salvi.
0: If correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't he have he has a sense at this point that things are soured, right? Yeah, that's why he's looking over his shoulder. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: laying low, right? And after you know a number of uh, hit teams unsuccessfully stalk him, Nikki Scarfo calls his best friend in, uh, Joey Punge, and says, "You're the you're the one who's going to do it because you're the only one that can they they can get him out uh, in the open." Um, and Joe Punge had some issue, uh, where he needed Salvi to come and, and, uh, speak for him at a sit down. And Punge said to him, you know, uh, I need you to come to the, uh, it was a, uh, a, a candy shop in South Philly, uh, for the sit down. And I believe Salvi was either on his way back or his way to playing tennis. Um, and he walked in the candy store and i believe it was uh, Wayne Grandy John Wayne Grandy again who uh, pulled the trigger
0: was Nikki the crow in on that one too did you did you, they were all in they were all in yeah, okay
1: i mean this was like a a, a big conspiracy where you had a, a multiple people over a 3 or 4 month 3 or 4 month period planning this 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 was a, a contract that was greenlit i believe in may and they didn't get him until uh,
0: September or October. And what's interesting about this case study is a lot of the times these guys approach things in a very cold way, where like, hey, it's just a, co- it's just a part of doing business. You kill a guy, I'm not going to lose that sleep over it. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But in this case, my understanding is that that this this that wasn't the approach. That nobody felt good about this, including the conspirators, the guys that carried this out. Nobody felt good about it and um, that, said i'll do it but i can't
1: pull the trigger
0: yeah so they didn't so they this was one of the few times where the guys were like i think it was sort of i don't think they really were hiding well, knew either that, that they that they didn't feel comfortable about this well they weren't hiding it amongst each other no no but they were, I, yeah, they from were
1: hiding it Scarful, in, <laughs> right. they, don't I'm say, they were hi, they were hiding it from Scarfell. they weren't hiding yeah. it amongst each other among right that they didn't feel right, good right, about right.
0: what happened right right
1: they knew if they challenged Scarfo and said, maybe this isn't a good idea, he would just kill them the next day.
0: Right, just kill them. he just kill them. Um, too. Because
1: I'm telling you, he started to kill everybody. He was killing all of his own guys. And and he would uh, call meetings, and he would get up in front of the meeting and said, I'm going to get rid of all of you guys. I'm going to have a hit team come in
0: from New York, murder every one of you, and start from scratch. I mean, he would say that. Right. It reminds you of The Departed when uh, – yeah. Jack Nicholson's character says, "Yeah, usually in these circumstances, I just kill my own crew, my whole crew, and right. start over." Um, but, but, but there are there is a change in attitude, right? You said the turning point because on the streets, certainly everyone's afraid of Scarfo, but wouldn't you say that he does? The morale is at an all time low. Yeah, well, that's it point. starts.
1: It starts to go. You know, it's a tipping point, and everyone says, "Well, if he can turn on Salvi, he can kill Salvi. He'll he'll do it to any one of us."
0: Right, right. Um, and he was trying to. Yeah. But he does, before there can be any kind of opposition to him, I don't know if there would have been, but it doesn't matter because Scarfo is going to start facing a lot of legal trouble. So if we could kind of walk through that, because this is really the beginning of the end. Well, because he, well, uh, Tommy Dell flips, Nikki Crow flips.
1: Um, they find out that uh, they got the the mayor Atlantic City in their pocket, Mike Matthews. Um, and it's just a matter of time before the hammer's gonna drop and an indictment's gonna be filed. So th- the indictment came down in March of 87. Um, around 85, 86, he demotes Chucky Merlino and promotes his nephew, Phil Leonetti, to be an underboss. I think just like with Sammy the Bull, Phil and Sammy were both underbosses, but they weren't underbosses really for that long mm-hmm. when you consider you know what what they're kind of known for now. Right. Like uh Phil was only underboss for I think two, you know, less than two years. But even before he was underboss, he was a he was a
0: I would say a, a quote unquote kingsman capo. Well, he's another one who was really upset about what happens to Salvi.
1: Yeah, but there's some debate about that, and I want to clarify. I think there are people. Really, that, I, I didn't. Well, that's Nick, well, Nikki Crow uh, has said in interviews, as well as in Blood and Honor, that uh, Leonetti was, was walking around telling people, "Why aren't you killing this guy? I I, I can't I can't see his face anymore. It, I need you to kill this guy. I, I, I'm I'm so disturbed when I when I see him." is what uh, Phil would tell people, allegedly. Mm. Phil denies that. And, you know, I, I say, you know, even if Phil says, and I believe him, Phil says, you know, Salvi was like a brother to me, you know. Right. That was the tipping point for Phil, too. If he can turn on, on Salvi, he can turn on me. Yes. Um, so do I think it's possible that Phil Eddie made some comments during that summer? because of the stress and anxiety that he was under that might have been taken as him wanting this murder to 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 take place sooner than later
0: just get it over with
1: but i don't think that necessarily means that th- that there was malice or ill will there right i think it was like i just want this whole thing done because it's inevitable yeah he wasn't but i think you could also argue just like with a lot of these, you know, a lot of people ask me kind of people who don't study the life. Why would Salvi stay around? You know, you're, you're marked for death. Why don't get on a plane, go to Otros Rios. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it's just, again, it's just not in these guys DNA to run. And this is the life they chose. And and uh, they they kind of, I think, come to terms with the fact that their lives are probably not going to end in a, in a very pretty fashion
0: well and it's also kind of this chess game because you know no one's going to come out right to his face and tell him you you know you, they're going to kill you so then there's always this kind of calculation like well what if what if it's not true and then how how does it look if i just if i just bail and then you, you know it's it's very complicated social psychological yeah and then with joey punge i know uh, in the in the about three years
1: uh, between Salvi's murder and the indictment, you know, there were guys that would um, poke at uh, Joey Punch. And whenever Joey Punge would walk into a bar, sometimes people would go into the jukebox and uh, play That's What Friends Are For. Mm. Uh, you know, it was that hit song. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. That yeah. cheesy hit song with like Elton John and Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight. And um, they would play that as like as a knock on Joey Punge. You know, you shouldn't have done that.
0: But if you're Joey Punge, it's like, well, you know, I I should have swallowed a bullet. Right. Yeah, you're in a tough you're in a tough situation. So back to the indictment. So um, one thing I want to mention, I know this is this is turning into a little bit of a longer episode, but that's okay. I mean, I think Scarfo is worthy of that. Part of it is the the Penn's Landing shakedown, which is if you're familiar with that area, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, South Jersey, Penn's Landing is um, this um, important, like commercial center there on the water, and there was a big uh, developer. I can't remember his name, the guy that was. Yeah, I can't remember his name either. But but Nikki Crow was the was running point on it, right? And. Um, my my understanding is that this this developer was a pretty much a straight guy, like and so his I think was they, Rouse, I think his name was Rouse, and they and the uh, back to Scarfo's like hubris, where like nobody is exempt from being shaken down. Scarfo finds out about the project; it's lucrative, and so they say, okay, you know, we're going to extort this guy and get a piece of this. Well, he goes to the FBI, and right. uh, does he wire up? I can't remember. I've read Blood and Honor. Yeah, they, I've read, they, I've read they, your book, yeah. but
1: I can't remember all the. You know, they flipped Nikki Crow. Okay, Tom, when Nikki Crow and Tommy Dell flipped, it, it's game set match, and those guys were were integral, integral co- uh, cogs in in Nikki's uh, mob machine. And but he, but you know, once they once they were debriefing, yeah, it's it's, it's like I said, it's it's uh,
0: checkmate. But initially, he's. If if I'm correct, he was convicted of extortion, and then while he was serving his sentence, that's when they they bring RICO charges and murder charges against him, which yep. is to the point where we get where he's eventually a, a lifer. So you want to want to talk about that because that gets into when when Phil, well, you, well you're talking about uh, Nikki, or you're talking about you talking about Nikki Scarfo or Nikki Carmody, Nikki Scarfo. Like Scarfo is convicted on extortion charges for the okay but, thing. Okay, but. I'm not I'm not arguing your chronology, but the indictment
1: that came down in March of 87, which was related to the traditional Rico case is what swept him off the street. I'm not saying that the chronologically the chronological order of his case of his cases that went in front of a jury that he wasn't first convicted of an extortion case, but it's not like he was. Indicted on extortion, was off the streets, was in jail, and got indicted for a racketeering. Oh, oh, you're saying? Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know. The I'm saying in March of '87, it. everybody got swept off the street from from the the Scarco regime.
0: Oh, so that was already out there that that big RICO. Indictment. The RICO
1: case dropped in March of '87.
0: Like I okay. said, I don't know
1: what the chronolo- uh, the chronological order is of I some see. of the other cases. Sure, because I know you're right. There were other cases that. Either spawned off of, or were before, yeah. Um, but everybody was on the street until March of eighty seven.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Like um, with not Nikki and Tommy Dell, Nikki Terramondi and Tommy Dell were uh, were, were were jammed up in, in the years before that, which laid the foundation for <laughs> the March eighty seven.
0: So when did the murder charges come into March, play March eighty seven. March eighty March okay. seven was the big okay.
1: RICO case with all the murder counts.
0: Okay. Um, and then where does Phil fit into this in terms of his decision to cooperate? Phil's indicted, Phil's convicted at trial with Nikki in 89.
1: And then a couple of weeks after their conviction at trial and Phil's looking at a life sentence, he flips.
0: And talk to us about, I mean, we want people to read your book and you can find it in more detail, but if you can just give us the brief synopsis of his kind of, thought process about about doing that was it just i don't want to spend pragmatic yeah, being pragmatic okay
1: and I, I think that if uh if they hadn't been indicted in march of 87 and they would have continued on with the with the, the scarper regime as it was into the summer of 87 i think uh, phil would have led a mutiny of his own um and and murdered nikki uh with the full support of everybody in that family
0: yeah so um, when when scarfo is convicted and, and sent away um and he's going to be a lifer um he tries to hold on to the family from prison uh tell talk to us about the the politics well, he of put situation. his he put his
1: uncle uh tony buck a uh, piccolo as the acting boss it lasted uh, for about three years Not a ton of activity going on. At that point, you did have Joey Merlino and Mikey Cangolini starting to plant the seeds for what would happen in the 90s. Uh, But then Joey had to go away in 89 for his armored car. uh, And at that point, Tony Buck doesn't want the job. Nicky's convicted and and there's no chance that he's ever coming home. They needed a boss in New York installs stampa i mean it, it wasn't something where the philly guys were like hey john we really need you to come and save the day uh new york put him in there and he was able to to get some guys that uh he had known from back in the 70s uh little felix the uh, bacchino and and some of those guys uh to jump behind him uh al pajamas Vince pagano um Chassi, uh, Sparacio, and but but Nick by by ninety Nikki's out of the boss seat.
0: But Scarfo's son is a made guy in the family, and is he? No, he's not. He's not. Oh, he's, he's not made. No, he, well, he is made, but he's not made in the Philadelphia mob. Oh, I thought he transferred to the Luccheses. He never. He never was. He never got
1: a. He never got a button in Philadelphia. Okay. um and and then Nikki arranged for him to get made uh in, in the Lucchese, So
0: so he's not an option for Scarfo to hold on to power then.
1: Yeah, he hadn't made him.
0: Okay. And then Joey Merlino tried to kill him, allegedly.
1: Right, right. On and Halloween Halloween 89. Um that he, he survived that attack. And you know, like I said, Joey Merlino was very close to the Scarfos. And then when his dad got demoted, uh he was chased out of South Philly. Um he he felt like Scarfo yeah. wanted to kill him and his dad. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think that's a stretch
0: either. Yeah, and, um, and and do we have insight into Scarfo's attitude when he's? I mean, so he's in prison for a long time while all this is playing out, and he he doesn't take it very well, does he? That he's basically no.
1: <laughs> he persona non grata. Well, in his mind, he was plotting to take the family back right. for decades behind bars. I mean, that's how out of touch and disconnected this guy was. That he thought through his. Connecting to Vic Amuso, who was the imprisoned boss of the Lucchese's, and through his son, uh, Nicky Scarfo Jr., who was, I guess he was a capo at some point in the Lucchese's, uh, that they could fleece this bank, take the money that they fleece from the bank, and then, I guess, pay off the commission, or, or what's left of, you know, right. I don't know if it was the commission, but pay off the New York Dons yeah the the uh, class as a way to to push i guess at that point and Merlino out of power uh and install his his son <laughs> i mean it's crazy but that was I mean that was all made it into a court file that that was what the plan was when his son got busted uh, i know they had reached out to Joey Chang uh who had been Stanfield's underboss and and wanted to bring him in 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 on the on um, the conspiracy, so I mean, you just had this harebrained scheme that that Nicky was uh, plotting, you in, know, in, in, into his eighties. And I also tell you, I think I've said it on this show before. When he got the Mafia Prince book in his hand, he had a cardiac arrest. I
0: mean, wow. literally, it, it sent him to the hospital when he looked at it. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember hearing that from you. Know, he didn't take that very well. And, and so, you know, when when does he die? I uh, died at um. Night was it 2019? Yeah, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. wasn't that long ago. So, what would you say to wrap up? What What is his legacy when we think about the Philadelphia crime family, the Italian mafia in that area, region, South Jersey, Philadelphia? What Scarfo's legacy would you say? Uh, he he died in seventeen. Scarfo died was six, yeah.
1: six years six years ago.
0: Yeah. What would you say his legacy
1: is? Um. His his legacy is. Is a trail of bodies. And and uh just I I don't think you can debate that in the last half of the 20th century, the most lethal, uh unhinged, and dangerous mafia boss in America was Nikki Scarfo. I mean, he 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 ordered over 30 murders in five years. Um You know, murder was his his the way to solve every problem. And uh, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't business. It was business. It was personal. It was a way for him to kind of get his jollies. He fed off of it. Well, he was. I
0: think he was. He was very twisted and warped. I think that's part of the legacy. Something we didn't mention is that. He had another son who who I believe Nikki wanted him to be like the heir apparent, but he just didn't have the constitution for it. He, he My understanding is he didn't want to be in that life. Yeah, and so he, he he, tries to kill himself. And my understanding is that Nikki Scarfo did not sh- demonstrate a lot of empathy oh, yeah. about he that. He thought he was weak. He
1: thought it was weak. Yeah, which is really sad. Um, and I think, well, one thing I want to credit Phil for, I mean, first of all, I can't thank the guy enough for allowing me to write his book. I mean,
0: sure. Yeah. It's I'll great. be
1: forever in debt to, to Phil and. And his close friend, Chris Graziano, who was my co-author, you know, they made it possible for me that, to have my kind of magnum opus of my career and uh, to um, allow, you know, kind of punch my ticket to report about Philly and write about Philly because it was really what sparked my entire interest in this whole genre was reading George Anastasia
0: uh, when I was in law school. Yeah, this was George's book that I held up earlier, Blood and Honor. This was the first Philly book I ever read. It's, it's still a classic. I,
1: I think... Phil's legacy is, is almost more important when you contextualize it. Uh, well, I, maybe not his legacy, but where he, where, where he is today is compared to where he was uh, 35 years ago. Phil is perfectly happy and content with being a regular schnook. You see at the, mo- at the end of the movie, Goodfellas, where he said, I got to live my whole life as just a regular schnook. And he's saying it as a negative. Right. The Henry Hill character, Ray Liotta in the movie. Yes. But Phil is the only former major crime lord shot caller that I've ever been with, and I've been with dozens. um, At least three or four LCN bosses, um, some underbosses and conciliaries, uh, a lot of African-American drug kingpins, guys that were biker bosses, um, and almost to a Person, every one of them would change places with their older version self, or oh, their older version self in the blink of an eye if they could. They could yeah. go back to the, to time, the time where they time. they had the the power and the light. They yeah, were. they miss it. Bill's the only one that has no affinity for it. Um, doesn't want to revel in it or take pleasure in it. You know him. Him. Uh, you know his interviews for the. From when we wrote, wrote the book we were very matter of fact he's incredibly intelligent and well-spoken and articulate and and I, I i commend that that he he's he's left that behind him and he's he loves just being a regular ordinary guy who can go have dinner with his wife and take a walk on the beach and go see a movie and go bowling and go right play 18 holes of golf and doesn't uh long for the days of of killing people and and hanging out at uh casinos and clubs and um you know playing cards outside of uh the bada bing or
0: yeah well uh yeah so, so House. so and so to, house. To, to your point about his um where he's at in his life right now people on social media contact us a lot and ask us why haven't we interviewed Phil Leonetti and i think to your point part of it is he just doesn't want to talk about yeah, this stuff. yeah Yes, he he got the the book was catharsis. It was a cathartic experience for him. He got he said what he had to say. And my sense is he doesn't really want to talk about it that much anymore. He doesn't. And I don't blame him. And I I don't. We'd love to have him on, but I don't. I just don't get the sense he wants to.
1: But uh, no, I I I enjoyed this. Um, Again, I I, I'm so proud of that book. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to outdo that book.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a really um, compelling read. And you really sense the, the anxiety and the stress that that life. It is not a romantic If you think the mafia is romantic, uh, read that book because it, it's it's very anxiety ridden, stressful. Yeah. And he didn't, uh, he, I remember
1: asking him, how did it feel to become the underboss. like, I hated it. Right. <laughs> I <laughs> took right. no joy in it. It was more responsibility, <laughs> more headaches, more anxiety that was driven by my uncle.
0: Right. Well, another thing in the book we didn't get to, and it's okay, we don't have to, but I just want to mention, because it, it amuses me ethnically, that Scarfo and a lot of those guys, the the shot callers in that family at that point were um, Calabrian, Calabres, and uh, so they talk shit about the the Ziggies, the Sicilian's. <laughs> I found that funny, amusing in your book. And, um, well, I also found it, you know, one of the anecdotes,
1: you know, fills the underboss. It's three o'clock in the morning and his uncle's oh, yeah, calling. That's the him best to, to come over and fix his plumbing. <laughs> and so I was like, call a plumber. It's three thirty in the morning. Right. He's like, I don't want to call a plumber. I want you to come over and fix
0: it. Yeah, that's one of the best parts of the book. Is like that yeah. that's that's you know, I'm the underboss, the se- right. the number two, and this is this is my responsibility. That's a great that's a great um moment in the book. Well, hopefully, um At some point, we can see something scripted from it. I know there's been some ups and downs. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole and give you some more post traumatic stress. But, but uh, I think one day, I think one day it it will be developed. I know there was some momentum, and there's been a couple people that have
1: been interested, and just it never really uh, it kind of died on the vine. But uh, the the material is too good to deserves it to never be adapted. It will be adapted at some point.
0: Yeah, well, thanks everyone for listening. I know this is a little bit longer episode, but we appreciate your support. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to us. I'm Jimmy Bucalato, and I'm Scott Bernstein. We're out. I think that's okay. We, I mean, we usually don't go this long, but it, it there's just so much there, you know, and and I, okay.
1: All right, welcome into the original Gangsters podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my co-host, partner of crime, uh, the doctor, Jimmy Bucciolato. Hey, Hello. Uh, we're going to do a, a real quick hitter edition right now, uh, three to five minutes on Richard Whiteboy Rick Wershey. uh, another subject that uh, I've spent quite a bit of time researching, reporting on, writing about. I was involved in the Hollywood film White Boy Rick back in 2018 with Matthew McConaughey. I was also involved in the documentary on White Boy Rick called White Boy. That's on Netflix right now. And news came out uh, related to his one hundred million dollar lawsuit that he filed against the city of Detroit, Detroit Police Department, FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southeastern Michigan District. Um seeking damages from his two years undercover as a teenager uh, for a federal drug task force back in the 80s, uh, working some of Detroit's most notorious African-American drug gangs. He was recruited out out of eighth grade and paid to go be a a drug mole. Did 33 years in prison and now was looking to, to, to get some type of Restitution or uh, reparations, uh, and because of the statute of limitations, federal judge this week tossed the
0: case out. It's been in the court system for about two years. Uh, Jimmy, any uh, any thoughts? Well, the the statute of limitations. I mean, isn't that? I mean, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but isn't that unfair considering he was in prison? Like, yeah, but they're really able, like, able to muster this kind of yeah the suit. scroll, yeah, the, <laughs> right, the uh, uh,
1: you know money. Right, I mean, it, it to me it was kind of a hail mary uh, from from the jump. I think there was some immunity uh, issues in terms of suing the government. I think there would be an issue with the fact that he got paid. Um, he was paid in that not, not just paid but paid right. handsomely. Uh, he made I think over forty thousand dollars in two years. Back at a time when a DPD officer was only making fifteen k a year he made more than an average Detroit Police Department officer as a 14- and 15-year-old working undercover for them. Yeah. Now, there are tons of moral and ethical implications there um, about why that they, why they, this would be allowed, um, but it was. And it seems like there should be some accountability. Yes. But the, according to the judge uh, this week, he had until 2006 uh, to bring this case, and he brought it in 2021. To your point, I don't think he had the resources yeah. back in 2006 to bring a right. case. Right. So that definitely cuts against him. For people that might not know, uh, you know, White Boy Rick was a, a a phenomenon in in Detroit in in the late 80s. Uh, a teenager, a white teenager in an all black Detroit underworld. Uh, wearing mink coats and gold chains and running around with the mayor's niece uh, was the right-hand man to a a very infamous drug lord johnny curry and uh, was a guy that was sitting front court at all the piston games vip at all the clubs miami vice 21 jump street did shows inspired by him and he was only 16 17 years old you know the media Media love He that. went viral before everybody
0: anybody knew what it meant to go viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was, a, it was a big deal.
1: And then he got locked up in 1988 uh, based on just a traffic stop. Uh, he had broken off his relationship with the government a couple months before that. wasn't on their payroll anymore, but he he knew too much, <laughs> and um, it got locked up in 1988 as an 18 year old. Didn't get out until he was uh, in his 50s but uh he's not going to be seeing any money right now that he he was seeking a hundred million dollars and and it's been thrown out he's got his own weed business that i think is doing pretty well legal cannabis
0: called the eighth um does he have any other legal recourse after this after it's tossed out i don't believe so any any other way like he can this is the end of the line in terms of seeking that that type of accountability because i know i understand the argument that he was compensated but I back to your point about ethically, and maybe this doesn't matter legally, but certainly ethically, he was a teenager. Like, I mean, it seems to me like he shouldn't be held to the same standards of accountability. Yeah.
1: There are a lot, there's a <laughs> lot to unpack. We, 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 we'll, we'll try to maybe do a full episode on yeah, yeah. this case at some point. We have this an
0: audio episode on it, by the way, yeah, People can listen to, but so, uh, you know, we
1: just wanted to give you that information. Um, white boy, Rick, $100 million lawsuit, $100 million lawsuit tossed out of court this week, won't be able to get damages for his 30, uh, 33 years in prison after working for the government right out of eighth grade. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it happens. And Jimmy, uh, we'll see you on another uh, long form episode soon. For Jimmy Bucciolato and Benny Behind the Glass, I'm Scott Bernstein. OG Pod out.